Podcasting from Phoenix, Arizona, the home of year-round flip-flops, the nation's largest city park, and Cactus League spring training. This is The Saver and The Spender, a weekly podcast about budgeting and money habits from both perspectives. And now, here are your hosts, The Saver and financial coach, Kelsa Dickey, and her husband, The Spender, Michael Dickey. Welcome, everybody, to The Saver and The Spender. This is episode four. And today we're going to be talking about sharing responsibilities when it comes to money, especially between two people yes. <laughs> in a couple right. that uh, are uh, in, a relationship. in a relationship. Exactly. can be husband-wife. It can be domestic partners. It can be that you just cohabitate. Maybe you're not married, but you live together. Uh, any, any number of scenarios, this will apply to you. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's a very, I mean, this is kind of what the basis of why we wanted to do this podcast is that there's two people that have two different uh, personalities when it comes to money, and uh, so I think this is going to be one of my favorite topics for a while here. So oh. we have some good, I, good. I didn't tell you that, but you didn't tell I didn't, me that. but That's I think it's going to be fun. So hopefully you guys get some good information, and um, we are broadcasting, simulcasting, well, that's a cool word, huh? Simulcasting Ooh, live on sound really cool. yeah, Facebook Live. So if you are watching right now, hello. But uh, please give us your questions and uh, ask us anything about um, maybe your certain s- specific situation with your significant other and your budget. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who don't know, we are uh, rebranding Fiscal Fitness, and we had some awesome guys, Brett and Sam, from my hometown in Sturgis, Michigan, come for the weekend, and it was like, they were with us like 24-7 mm-hmm. <laughs> from Friday until Monday morning at 5 in the morning when I dropped them off at the airport. But we're we not were, complaining. No, not at all. But it was uh, intense. I mean, I, feel, I feel like sorry for you guys, you. <laughs> but uh, we are videotaping and taking pictures, and we're going to be doing some cool commercials and viral videos, and um, we have some new logos, so anybody watching Facebook uh, or following us on Facebook, our website will be redesigned here pretty soon. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. So first, anything else before we get started? Anything else, other cool news or anything? Uh, just thank you to all the people who came out this weekend. We had a whole schedule or itinerary of festivities that we did with everybody, and for those of you who came and got on camera, thank you. For those of you who even got interviewed, thank you. There were a couple people that came and they were like, we are in no way getting interviewed. Don't want to be on camera one-on-one. And that was totally fine. That was, it was not required. Uh, and then by the end of the night, a lot of people, a lot of those people did actually go on camera. So thank you for stepping outside your comfort zone for me. I really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you guys. That's super. I mean, that makes us feel good that you feel, um, good enough about us and that you like us enough and that you find us uh, helpful enough, beneficial enough. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. All of those things of to, yeah. uh, you know, put yourself out there for us. So we really appreciate that. Totally Thank appreciate you. it. I cannot wait to watch. I have not yeah. seen the videos yet. So uh, they're going to be sending us those and obviously the unedited and then the edited version. So yeah. can't wait to see what you and guys if you said. And if you want to get a taste of kind of what their stuff looks like, which is, I mean, it's beautiful what their videos do, but um, it's hype brand management on Facebook. Um, And we went to Saturday morning, we went to Tempe Town Lake uh, and just happened to have that there was the healing field for 9-11 there and there were uh, rows and rows and rows of American flags um, with the names of the people that had uh, died on 9-11 between the Twin Towers and the Pentagon and um, it was just really cool, and they got some really cool footage, and then they made a, a memorial video for 9-11 that is just really cool. So check that out. Mm-hmm. 
So the first thing we want to talk about today is kind of the stuff that's trending in personal finance, and it's getting to be that time of year when people start to plan their Thanksgiving and Christmas vacations and holiday holiday vacations. So um, this is from CNBC. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to kind of give you some ideas about some things for the upcoming travel season. So uh, there's still more than 100 shopping days left before Christmas, but travelers look, looking to save on holiday airfare may have a much shorter window. If you're flying to one of the top 20 markets booking six weeks out by October 3rd for Thanksgiving fairs and by November, November 7th for Christmas travel, typically saves 14%, according to a new analysis from fair comparison site HipMunk, H-I-P-M-U-N-K, HipMunk. But if you're traveling to or from a smaller airport, the prime time for Christmas fairs is the week of October 12th, with savings of 15%. For Thanksgiving, prices are at their lowest, with savings of 17% the week of September 5th. So that would be last week. Mm, oops. Ooh. So, I mean, you still have some time. But uh, if you're going to a small market, set a fair alert, said Kelly Soderland, a spokeswoman for Hipmunk. Larger airports tend, to, airports tend to have fewer fare fluctuations, giving travelers more leeway to assess their plans and track prices, she said. Fares through smaller airports are already pricier than those in big markets, the analysis found, and tend to continue trending upward as the holidays approach. Hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's always true that the, if you wait till the last minute, it's usually a pretty expensive flight for some reason. They, I think they know that you probably are booking at the last minute for a reason. Right. So, like, and especially if in this case, like, a family member, something happens, like, you're going to get on a flight no matter what. So right. they can kind of charge a premium. So don't wait. In other words, maybe start looking at those prices now or use these guidelines to say this is when the prices are best. Um, so, And you'll include this on the podcast printout, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to put all these websites and links in here. But uh, yeah. The other trick that I always heard, and I would love if somebody could confirm this or, I don't know, diffuse it or diffuse what's the word? Yeah, uh, refute it. Refute it. That's the word, yes. Um, the uh, I think we have one vocabulary odd thing every <laughs> single podcast. <laughs> we do. Podcast. <laughs> we do. <laughs> every podcast. That's okay. Anyway, so if you uh, could refute this, that when you are searching for cheap flights, that you should... Um, Always use an incognito window. So the idea, of course, when you're searching for things, if you've ever noticed, you search for a new kayak. And then all of a sudden you go to Facebook and on the right-hand side of your Facebook feed, there's all these ads for either kayaking companies or rentals or whatever. And so those are cookies and they're kind of tracking what you're doing. And so the idea is that by when you search for plane tickets, if you use that in your web browser, they know you're searching for a flight. And so then if you go another day um, and you log in again, that flight is now more expensive. I don't know if that's true or not, but I've always searched for flights using an incognito window, which means, um, and I think I use Google Chrome. Mm -hmm. It's probably called something different, uh, Internet Explorer, Safari, or... I think Safari, it's private, and I'm not sure about Internet Explorer, but it might be private or... Yeah, so the idea is that when you search, it's not saving any of that. So it's not really tracking you or following you or that kind of thing. And so it makes it so that they're not going to bump the price up on you. Right, and you'll know if they are doing that because you... You know, you go one day, you look at the price, and you come back later or the next day, and then the same search came up already. Like, it right. saved it for you, so you know that they're... They know that You're you know that they know. Stop. What? <laughs> um, so yeah. try that, and if, if anybody has heard that or uh, knows that that's true or not, just let us know. Yeah. Uh, so here are some different websites you can use, and I will include, include these in the liner notes for the podcast of really good price compar- comparison websites for travel. So kayak.com, um, they let you compare all of the other majors. So they let you compare Travelocity and Expedia, and they let you compare every single site to find the cheapest 
uh, trip for you. Airfare Watchdog also will let you set alerts um, and compare prices. I do like Airfare Watchdog. I do think it's not exactly user-friendly, and so what I mean by that is it'll give you an alert that, let's say, Spirit Airlines has a deal, but if you click on the link in their email, it's it kind of acts wonky. Like, it doesn't always work very well. And so um, what I always think is best if you get one of the Airfare Watchdog emails and there's an alert for, let's say, Spirit, then you actually go to the Spirit website and just search for your parameters because that seems to just be the easier way of doing it versus using the link that Airfare Watchdog sends you. Uh, I don't know if it's like a glitch or I don't, hmm. maybe I'm doing it wrong. could always be user error for sure, but that's what I found is easiest with their with their stuff. Okay, cool. Uh, Google.com slash flights is kind of new, uh, and I've used it to search a couple times, but I've never bought anything on it. But basically, it's last-minute deals. Uh, so if you do want something last-minute or um, don't really care about you – you're very flexible with your time and – uh, that kind of stuff. It's really cool because it'll say, okay, which region do you want to go to? You want to go to Mexico, North, uh, uh, Canada, United States, Europe, Africa, Asia, these major markets or these major continents. Um, and then here's my price range. Here is my flexible dates. And then it basically does like a roulette of here, here are some cool flights for you. So if you really mm-hmm. want to be flexible with a vacation rather than specifically knowing that you know, I need to go back to back home for Thanksgiving, the Wednesday to uh, Tuesday of thing, whatever, you know, it's, so if you're really flexible, google.com slash flights can be pretty cool. That's cool. And then I really like Costco, but we have a Costco yeah. membership. So I really do. And I've had some clients that have taken some pretty amazing vacations using Costco travel. So if you are a Costco member, then that's probably one place to check out. I don't know if Sam's club does travel. Um, I use, people usually put Costco and Sam's club sort of in the same boat. So I don't know. Sam's Club does. So comment and let us know if you've used Sam's Club travel before. And then the last one is possibly your favorite airline. So let's say you always fly Southwest or you always fly uh, U.S. Airways, then, you know, chances are you, you know the good flights. You've probably used them before. We know, obviously, like we fly using Allegiant all the time. So uh, we know how to kind of search for the best flights. And so simply using and being consistent with the same airline can, can really help save money, too. Absolutely. Cool. Cool. Okay, good. So um, good luck on finding some good deals on your travel the next couple months and hopefully find something cheap. Next, we want to talk about Kelsa's financial rule of dumb. <laughs> Not thumb, dumb. Dumb, that's right. So this is when we, when we take a, a financial rule of thumb that is very broad, sweeping, and, and uh, I guess a good rule of thumb, but may not necessarily be true in general, right? Yes. So a lot of, there are so many financial rules of thumb out there. And what I find is that most of them don't apply to most people. And so then what happens is a person says, well, I'm not doing that, or uh, I haven't, I don't have things set up that way. And, And instead of just recognizing the fact that their situation is different, they actually feel badly, like they're doing something wrong because they're not following the rule of thumb. When, like I said, I actually think a lot of rules of thumb don't apply to most of us. So what we're going to do is every podcast, we're going to pick one and I'm going to poke some holes in it. I'm also going to say, when does it apply and when doesn't it apply? Great. So this week's is 
your emergency fund should equal six months worth of household expenses. Oh, man. This is one of my favorite ones to poke holes in. So everybody comes in and says, well, I want to have three to six months of expenses. Um, And so let's just talk about that for a second. Um, Most people, if they were to lose their job or something sort of tragic were to happen, um, God, this is like so prevalent right now in our life. Um, When a true emergency happens, most people very naturally will, will go into what I call emergency mode. So there are things that you're going to cut out just because you, it's not something that's important to you at the time. So either you lose your job so you don't take a vacation uh, or you've got someone in the hospital so you're not out taking vacations because you're spending time in the hospital. Um, there are a number of things that we might simply cut out. Right now we consider them a luxury and so we keep them because we can afford them. But as soon as we can't afford them, a lot of people just are honest with themselves and say, nope, I would eliminate that and it wouldn't be a big deal to me. So the idea of having three to six months of your household expenses, I think is not a good number because it's probably representing expenses that you have now that you wouldn't actually have in the case of an emergency. And what happens is if you use your normal household expenses, that number is so high. It's such a large number that you need to have in savings that what happens is it feels like such this huge mountain you need to to sort of climb that you don't even want to start climbing it. So for example, let's say your household expenses are $5,000 a month and to have six months, that's $30,000 sitting in a savings account. And that number is so big to sit there and say that I'm going to, I need to save $30,000 in order to feel secure. It's just, it feels like you don't even want to bother starting because it feels like you'll never actually get there. Right. When in all actuality, that $5,000 might include things like travel or cable TV or the housekeeper or, you know, any number of things that you might not elect to do if a true emergency happens. So what I recommend people do is actually take a few minutes to create your emergency budget. And the reason I want to talk about this today is when we talk about couples, because Having an emergency budget in place is crucial so that should something happen to one of your jobs or in an emergency, now is not the time, or at that time is not the time to figure out what are we going to eliminate. So let's imagine your spouse loses their job, and so they come home, they're already feeling probably pretty crummy, right? I mean, their self-worth is probably low depending on the circumstances. It's just not a good scenario. And then you're coming to them and saying, so should we cut cable? Should we do this? What should we do? Like, where should we? And all of that simply makes them feel even worse about what what has happened because now they can tie what's happened to them to the impact it's having on their family, right? Which just makes you feel worse. So instead, by creating an emergency budget, you actually go through and you sit down together and you say, if something were to happen to either of us or both of us, what kind of lifestyle would we live? And actually put that plan in writing now. Then when something happens, you simply execute it. The plan is already in place and you already know exactly what you're eliminating. Are we cutting cable? Are we you know, going to cancel this service? Maybe the landscaper or any number of things that seem, if one person loses their job, maybe there's time to do that instead, right? So you want to have that emergency budget in place all written down. And then I want you to have three to six months of that number. So let's say your expenses go from 5000 you're able to get it down to $3,000 a month, which again, this is not your lifelong budget. So chances are it's going to be temporary. It's something that, yes, it's going to be hard. It's going to be strict. It's not going to be a lot of fun. Um, but at the same time, hopefully it's just temporary until you get another job or something, you know, 
improves with your financial situation and then you go back to your old budget. But, and if you're able to get it down from 5,000 to 3,000, then $3,000 for six months is actually $18,000. So we've taken it from a $30,000 goal down to $18,000. Or if we're looking at a three-month target, we took it from $15,000 down to $9,000. And that actually feels more obtainable. And then I want you to actually take it a whole step further, which is if your number is $3,000, don't focus on getting six months. That's not what I actually want your goal to be today. I want your goal to be today to get one month in savings. Because as soon as you can look at it and say, I have one month of our expenses covered should something happen, you immediately have peace of mind for the first month. And then focus on getting month number two. And now you can easily say, should something happen, we are covered for two months. Okay. Um, So that's kind of what I want you to do is to focus on it that way. The other thing you can do, and this gets a little bit more complicated, but is let's say you have your expenses as $3,000 a month, but one spouse makes $2,000 a month. Really, your shortage, if one person loses their job, is only $1,000 per month. Does that make You're only covering the shortage. So a true emergency would happen if you both lost your jobs in the same month. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, so then in that case, if you had, if you were only short $1,000 a month and you had 8000 in savings, you can actually cover a shortage if one person loses their job for eight months. See that? And yes. so it simply gives you that peace of mind of instead of being like, oh my God, we need $30,000 in savings. We're not secure. We don't have any money. Oh my God, if something happens, we're in trouble. And that's just sort of the stress or the worry that really affects most of us. You can look at it and say, I have one month covered, two months covered, three months covered, and just start that way. And you're really covering what your emergency budget would be anyway. Right. And I think something that I want to reiterate in um, is that an emergency fund is really, we consider a loss of income fund, not a, oh, I need some cash to go buy this or do this. Absolutely. Yeah. And I actually, I don't love calling the emergency fund emergency fund actually i feel like emergency is very reactionary sounding where you know unfortunately there was a study done by the department of labor a couple of years ago that said 98% of people will experience a career setback at some point in their life which means the high majority of us at some point will either get a demotion take a pay cut lose our job something like that so i actually think that this is just one of those other sort of parts of life that we can be ready for. And God, wouldn't it be great if we have an emergency fund and we never touch it? I mean, that would be ideal, right? So instead, I call it a loss of income fund or an income replacement fund. I think there's something about that that simply seems more strategic and proactive. So the idea is if you have your expenses as $3,000 a month, then on the first of the month, you would take $3,000 from your income replacement fund, put it into your checking account during this time, and simply live off of that. And then that way, you're always looking at your loss of income fund and saying, here's exactly how many months we have left. Got it. So if somebody had uh, no emergency fund right now at all, uh, a couple, what was the best way to start to save for that? Man, you just throw these things at me. I know, right? I've got some good <laughs> questions. Because um, I wouldn't know. Yeah, the I would say it just needs to be your number one goal is to have something in savings, whether it's $500, $1,000, just start really small. Um, and then anytime you have extra money, so if a bill comes in a little lower than what you're expecting, like your electric bill comes in $20 less, 
take, there is no amount too small. Mm -hmm. So if you find yourself saying, well, it was only $20, so I didn't, you know, transfer to savings, never put the word only in front of a dollar amount. So because I think that progress is made in really small amounts. And so $20 becomes a big deal if you do it every couple days. Like if every time you get a bill or every time you go grocery shopping, you have a little bit left, stick it in that savings account until you hit a set number. Let's say it's 500 or a thousand. And then that way you can slowly start building from there. Got it. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Good job. Sorry to throw you under the bus there. You didn't throw me under the bus. It's okay. <laughs> I like it. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Michael kind of comes up with the topics and that sort of thing. He asks my opinion once in a while, and I just sit back and talk about money. That's what I do. Yep. That's what I enjoy, so it's fine. Nerd alert. <laughs> <laughs> True. Great. All right. So um, do you think that if somebody doesn't have an emergency fund, that that's the kind of their they should change their goal, their financial goal, to getting that in place first as as, not as quick as possible necessarily, but really focus on that rather than other savings goals? Um, I think so. The way it should work is that you should save for lifestyle type expenses first. So you should have like a car repair fund, a home repair fund. Those are just everyday expenses that will pop up. And then with extra money, your goal can be to put that money in savings for the income replacement fund. Um, and then this is where it's so tricky. I wish, I think that sometimes I feel like I wish I had a very clear answer for people because I think sometimes that's what people want, but I also feel like I would be doing them a disservice if I did give them a clear answer. So let me just kind of talk through the rationale behind this is why this isn't a clear example. Let's say you are in a situation where right now you're making a lot of extra money compared to your lifestyle. So you are cash flowing a ton, which means your income far exceeds your normal expenses. So you have a lot of leeway every month. For you, it is probably less likely or less crucial that you put money in savings right away. Because if a whammy happens, you can cover it just out of your normal paychecks by cutting something out or eliminating a, you know, a normal expense. If you live on a very tight budget and there's not a lot of wiggle room, it's more important for that person to have money in savings because should something happen, our paychecks are pretty much already exhausted. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, it also depends on what you have coming up in life. I mean, if you're a single guy and you kind of handle your own finances and you're able to cash flow a lot, you're probably in a much different situation than uh, a family on one income with three children. Because then the likelihood that there could be a dental bill or a medical bill or a kid's expense that we're not ready for is more likely because there's more moving parts. So savings needs to be in place for those scenarios and less likely for the first case scenario. Okay? Makes sense. Okay. Good. Good. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Great. All right. So next we want to move on to uh, tooting somebody's horn for them. We're gonna talk. Uh, we're gonna brag somebody's budget up a little bit, hmm. and so Tammy, you know, we're asking if anybody else has that's watching in Facebook Live or wants to message us and say what your uh, brag about your budget is, or your small accomplishment, or your big accomplishment. What are some other th things that people could brag about? It doesn't have to be big or small. I mean, it can just be something as like you came in under budget on groceries, or you tried something new and it worked. Um, it can be that you hit a big savings goal. It can be huge, like you paid off all your debts or something like that. Um, but really, like I said, I think progress with your budget is made in small increments in everyday uh, improvements. And so that's really what we want to focus on. Perfect. Yes. Okay. So Tammy, Tammy has some... Uh, has a big brag. Though, I so, love this yeah, one. So, so uh, Tammy said, I have nearly paid off enough debt to feel comfortable retiring early 
retiring early, that's mm-hmm. crazy, to take care of my disabled parents and move close to my beautiful new granddaughter. This is so How huge. Cool is it, it actually brings tears to my eyes. I, um, Okay, not just tears to my eyes, I'm going to cry. But um, Tammy came to me super stressed about money um, and lived on one in one part of the country. Her kids lived on the other part of the country, her adult children. And uh, she had a lot of debt. We really started to just chip away at it and the momentum just became amazing. And I think she is one of those clients that just was so coachable and did everything and worked her tail off and it paid off because now her, uh, her daughter had a baby. And so it's Tammy's first grandchild, granddaughter, uh, earlier this year, just a few months ago. And Tammy is going to retire early because her budget now allows for that where, uh, a year and a half ago, it would not have been acceptable for her to do that. She wouldn't have been able to pay her bills because of all the debt she had. Um, and she's actually going to be moving across country, which is a big deal. And she's going to be taking care of her parents and also her grandbaby. So, and I, this is a perfect scenario of that money by itself is not important. It's the fact that it lets you focus on what's really important to you. And that's why we want to manage it really well. So I really feel like this is one of those scenarios where we were able to say, you know, what is it that we want to create? What is the life that you want to live? Why is it that you want to do this? And really focusing on the why, because it's one thing to say, well, I just want to get out of debt. But for her, it really was because I want to be able to spend time with my family. I want to be close. I want to move across country. And she just didn't feel like she could. And we were able to make that happen. Um, This is also one of those reasons why money can be stressful because you feel like you're tied to that paycheck. So she possibly could have moved, gotten a different job, you know, whether she made the same amount or not was sort of irrelevant. It was just the fact that you making a big change like that, when you're strapped with debt, you feel like you can't even consider it, you know? So not only did she consider it, but she's actually making it happen. And I just love, I cannot wait to see the pictures of her holding her grandbaby on like a daily basis. I better have that full in my Facebook feed. That's all I got to say, Tammy. Okay. Or text it to me every, every day. If you want to, I want to see that because I am just so happy. Um, It just makes me just so proud and happy for her that her life is going to be pretty darn wonderful, wonderful here pretty soon. That's awesome. Good job, Mm -hmm. Tammy. We're proud of you. So we want to move right into our listener question, which I think is going to segue nicely into the topic of sharing responsibilities with between couples. Okay. Um, but Dev said, I just got married. So this is kind of a long, long explanation, but uh, it's it's a good, very good question. So uh, Dev said, I just got married. Is there a recommended best practice for joint slash separate bank accounts? This is our current line of thinking. We would like to maintain both our separate checking accounts for simplicity. Uh, we don't, so we don't have to switch over direct deposit or all the payment account settings across various cards and services and personal spending freedom. But we also want to establish a joint checking savings account that we both contribute to. Is this normal? If so, which sorts of expenses are typical to quote unquote allocate to the joint account versus separate accounts? Here's some background. I have a mortgage in my name that I've been paying for. She has student loans and a car payment. I have no other debts. What is this person's name? Dev. 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 D-E-V. D-E-V. Okay. Oh gosh, such a good question. And actually like multiple questions in there. Yeah, so there is. it's kind of a long, long. Uh and this is just like we said for the debt topic, we could probably have 13 podcasts dedicated towards debt. We could easily have that many dedicated towards couples and communication and how to separate your finances. And we will. We're gonna keep doing podcasts over and over and over again. So slowly but surely we will begin to uncover all the layers in all these topics. But um 
So to answer your question, is there a best practices of dividing or sharing responsibilities and accounts or the money with bank accounts? And yes, there is best practices. Uh, there is my favorite way, which I'll go over in just a second, but that does not mean that the other ways are wrong. Hmm. Okay. So this has a lot to do with, you know, is it your first marriage or are is it, you know, your second marriage and you're blending families? And there's a lot that goes into this question. So let's assume that in this case, it's a first marriage and, you know, so we're kind of like clean slate here. We can do it. However, my ideal scenario, and I do think it's very important for each person in a relationship to have some of their own spending money. So I do think if you think about it, you come into a marriage and you've both been managing your own finances a certain way for a certain length of time. And whatever that way was, it worked for each of you. So, you know, the husband had his way, the wife had her way, and for whatever reason, their way worked. And now we have to blend the two. And so it's not that one way was right and the other way was wrong, but they're probably both going to have to make changes to the way they managed money before in order to make that work, right? Mm -hmm. So it can be very easy for one person to say their way was better or another person's was worse. And sometimes that is the case. Sometimes a person comes in with a lot of financial baggage, but then oftentimes it's just your way isn't necessarily better. It just worked for you, but then their way worked for them. Okay. So I think the best case scenario is you, all of the money comes into one checking account first. So I'm not saying I do want a person to sometimes have their own separate spending account, but there needs to be one hub and all money comes in there first. The idea is that if you want to make a change, so as your value system changes in life, as your lifestyle changes, maybe you start adding kids or you know, your priorities change, the money comes into the main checking account first because then as you transfer it to your own individual spending accounts, at some point in life, that number can change. And so you want to be able to see it all in one account first, okay? Um, and so the money comes into that account. All bills should get paid from that main hub checking account. And then every payday, money can be transferred to your own individual spending accounts, or you can take out cash. This is actually where I really prefer cash, but if you wanted to keep it into a checking account, uh, you each have your own individual spending accounts, and then from there, you guys can spend that however you want. That's sort of like your own spending money. And this is where it's tricky. I will challenge couples to not focus on things being fair, okay? Mm -hmm. So if one person gets 100, the other person gets exactly 100. Oftentimes what happens, and this is definitely the case in our relationship, one person does the grocery shopping and another person doesn't, right? right. So is it fair that if they both got $200, but one person does the grocery shopping for the whole family and the other person doesn't, that's not fair either, even though the number that they started with was fair, right? right? So don't focus on it being fair. Um, it Really think about, you know, what is it that you each need money for? Um, what kinds of expenses would you cover versus the other person and simply, you know, transfer the money in and spend it from there. Okay. And right. then that person can kind of manage it however they want. We always joke that Michael can kind of hoard his money, right? And you just mm -hmm. kind of let it grow. You don't really need anything except for a DVD every once in a while. Right, that's about it. Yep. I tend to spend mine every week. So I'll go out for wine with my girlfriends. I'll buy a coffee, any number of things, but mine tends to be gone. And that's totally okay. That's my preference. That's my spending personality. Believe it or not, I'm the saver, but um, this is the <laughs> one instance where I guess we sort of flip flop, huh? Yeah. Um, but then that is also matches your personality. So you can kind of do have match your own personality with this category. 
Okay. Right. And then from the hub account, you both also set goals together and really plan ahead together. I think the, um, the goal really is to, to make big changes together. So can we just move into the next segment? Yeah, I feel like I'm I getting think, there. Okay. No, sorry. Yeah, it's a good segue. So okay. we really want to talk about the, uh, sharing responsibilities yeah. within, uh, your budget and your personal finances between a, a couple, whether you are married or engaged or cohabitating or, uh, domestic partners or whatever you are, you're, you're sharing some financial financials with somebody else. Yes. Okay. And I feel like I'm getting there so that we're just going to move going. right into it. Okay. Um, oh gosh, where do I even begin? So, uh, let's see here. I think, uh, there is this idea out there that it takes two people to handle the finances or it should take both people to pay bills. I think we've all heard that, you know, mm. out there. I don't agree with that. Uh, I think we're all too busy nowadays. We're all spread too thin as it is to actually all sit down together, both sit down together and pay bills. Not only that, but especially with a lot of things being automated now, it's really not that hard. Okay, I keep banging on the table. You're getting right. mad at me. Okay, li- I'm no, sorry. A little. Um, he really hates that, guys. Okay, so. And I think that, I mean, th- there's usually one person in the couple that doesn't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say enjoys it, but doesn't hate it. And there's somebody that doesn't like it. So this is where, like, who does what? I would say that if there is a person who likes it, likes to number crunch, more analytical, that is me. I actually enjoy it. It is the way I make decisions. Okay, so I enjoy it. I'm going to be the person to do it, right? But let's say there is not that person in a relationship. How do you decide? Let's say neither of you really enjoy doing it it's probably going to be the person who tends to be better at it. Maybe they're a little bit more organized than the other person. They tend to be more routine or habit-forming than the other person. That's the person that needs to do it, even if you don't love it. This is where, in a relationship, we simply have to play to each other's strengths, right? And you sometimes have to do something because you're better at it than your spouse. And so you just sort of pick up that ball and run with it. That's the same way that money management happens, okay? So there's one person. It does not take two people to sit down at a computer and pay bills or transfer money. It doesn't. The logistics of this can really be one person's job, Hmm. okay? Now, it is where it takes one person to pay the bills. It takes two people to make decisions about the finances, okay? And so what I mean by that is let's say the person who's doing it finds that they have money left. It is not that person's job alone to decide what is it that they get to do with the extra money. You have to come together and you have to say, we have extra money. What are our goals? What should we do with it? What do we have coming up that we need to start getting ready for now? Because that one person may not know everything, okay? And at the same time, it is the that person's job that if they're short money and they can't pay a bill or something's wrong to not troubleshoot by themselves or not put all that weight on their own shoulders and say, I'm going to figure out how to do this and not even get my other, my other spouse involved. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's both of your responsibilities to decide what do you get to do with extra money? And what are you going to do if you are short and need to come up with some money and to problem solve together? The one um, sort of uh, mistake or error that I see people make all the time uh, is the person who manages the money, they only get their spouse involved when it's bad. Mm. So when something's wrong, they get their spouse involved. So then what happens is the spouse always thinks of money as negative. Right. 
right? They never get to be involved in the positive conversation. So then, of course, after you do that for a long time, you only go to your spouse when it's negative. So then they get stressed about it. They think money is negative. They start to get defensive whenever you come to them about money because, again, it's that's all their whole relationship with it is to help you put out a fire, right? right. So... Your job is to, if you are the person managing money, uh, and then let's talk about if you're the person who manages money and you actually love it, like I do, I could sit here and talk to Michael for an hour straight about our budget, and then I still want to talk for another hour, right? (laughs) So true. true. Okay. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure you'd kill me. Or want to kill me. And then I'm going to be like, why aren't you paying attention Mm -hmm. to me? Right? And Mm -hmm. it's because I lost him after 10 minutes. Okay? So if you are the person who enjoys the number crunching and likes being analytical, try to understand that that is a little overwhelming or just simply too much for the other person. So what I always recommend is to try and find the three or five main points that you want to get across. Like, and use, it's almost like a bullet pointed version of your financial situation. Right. And you're just going to summarize that to that person. They don't need to see the whole analysis done behind the scenes in order to determine that as much as you are proud of the fact that you discovered something or uncovered a scenario or whatever, you're really proud of the research you did. The other person doesn't care. And I will say, try to trust in the fact that when I say that person doesn't care, it it doesn't mean that they don't care. It's simply that they trust what you're saying. They don't need to know everything about everything in order to care about what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Okay? So they're going to be part of that conversation. I would rather have their full attention for 10 minutes versus 10% of their attention for an hour. Right. Okay? Yes. So I know when we have... We have you know, budget meetings and talks at what every two weeks, maybe every month, because we, we're, we're kind of a pro. We're, yeah, we're. I mean, we're forecasted out for <laughs> quite a while. So <laughs> I don't. I personally, I don't have to do anything. But do it, you know how long we're forecasted? I have no out? idea. It's a while. It's probably a year. Wow, good job. Yeah, thanks. But some I'm of my clients you. are like, "Oh, just a year." I have some clients that are out way really? further than that. Oh yeah, I've created some monsters out there. <laughs> I <guess> tell you. <laughs> wow, you nerds. Yeah. Um, but so what I need and what I like is Kelsa. You know, we just put started putting Carmen in uh, in home daycare a couple days a week, so I can get some you know extra work done that I wasn't able to get done. And so she said, "Here's what, here's what it's going to cost us. Here's what we're going to do with the budget. Peace out. That is all I needed to know." Um, yeah, and I think yeah. it was, you know, kind of like, do you have any other suggestions? Like, yeah. there's always that question. Yeah, anything else that you want to contribute or anything else? Um, and I do feel like we're pretty lucky in the sense that we're on the same page. But let's say you're just starting out. Our conversation, I think, would have been a little bit longer in the sense yeah. that here's what I've come up with. Here's some other ways we could do it. Or is there anything that you look at when you see our budget that you would be willing to cut out so that we can do this? Right. Right? Right. Sure. Um, and so we did make a couple changes, some things that we don't want to, but we also feel like it's a trade-off, and mm-hmm. we're excited about it. We think it's the best-case scenario. So, um, yeah, and then the other thing is if you are on the other side of that coin and you don't really care about the finances and this person comes to you, do your best to give 10 minutes of undivided attention. Um, do your best to try and understand that when they're coming to you, they have probably invested some time and energy on their own, and they need your contribution, okay? It can be... For some reason, I also see this person tends to get somewhat defensive. Um, But like I said, I think that comes from if you're... 
they're usually only involved when it's bad. And they come sometimes feel like, oh, well, what did I do wrong now? Or mm-hmm. what did we do wrong that we overspent that contributed to this and yada, yada. So hopefully the more you get that person involved on a positive and negative, you know, that no matter what they're involved, I think it helps to curb that. Um, so your job is really to try and not get defensive. Mm-hmm. And it really is to make a contribution. Try not to say, yeah, well, whatever. Whatever you say, that that's fine. Try to really understand um, the contribution that the other person made. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then also just say, well, what else can I do? I think that yeah, always helps. And that, sure. I mean, that applies to every conversation sure. that you have. But um, So the idea is bullet-pointed, three to five points of everything's paid, we're good, here's how much we have left, here's what do we have coming up in the next few months that we should start planning for now. That's a really crucial question to ask each other. That way you're on the same page. You know, you might say this, you know, let's say the husband in this case is like, oh, I need new tires in three months. Well, if the wife doesn't know that and she's got the budget in place, that those tires can be a really big hit mm-hmm. if we're not ready for them. We're uh, really, you don't want the you know, tires are a maintenance thing like that needs to happen. And so sometimes it's just the case and you don't want something such every day like that to cause a rift, right, right? In the money management. So, and then how often this is tricky because I would say weekly to start because you're just getting practice. You know, you're just every, every week you're like, Hey, here's where we stand. We're good. Bam. This does not have to be a long drawn out conversation. That is the one thing that I want to really stress because like I said, the, the one person who does it is going to want to like unload everything that they've just figured out. Um, really try to focus your energy on the, the most important points. The other person contributes and you're done have a glass of wine during the time, have a beer, have some ice cream, whatever your thing is. Mm-hmm. Try to um, really focus on that for just a short period of time. And then the next week you do it again. And then as the more you do it, the longer you get to spread it out. So like you said, we probably do it once a month now. We used to do it every two weeks, mm-hmm. like payday and yep. that kind of thing. But you know, the longer you do it, the more, the easier it is to plan really far ahead. And so that way you don't need to have those conversations as often. Right. And I think it's important for the non for the people like me who are the non planners, the the spenders, and and the um, non financial people that aren't really taking the brunt of the workload to, um, like like Kelsey said, not be defensive about it. And I think that if you have a regular meeting, whether it's weekly to start out, and then biweekly, and then monthly, that it can really help diffuse any future. Um, uh, arguments because you know what's coming up. It's regular and it's not a reactionary meeting. It's a uh, preemptive meeting. That's so true. Yeah. And if you have kids and like, let's say on a Sunday, you're kind of planning the week, like, oh, who's picking them up this day? You know, so-and-so is soccer on this day. And there's sort of like that planning strategy meeting from a time perspective. Think about this budget meeting as the same thing. What do we have coming up we need to buy? Hey, where do we have over here? Here's the money. Okay, we're good. Like it really can be a way that simply makes the rest of your life go so much more smoothly. That's really the goal. Right. It's not supposed to be something that adds more stress or more pressure, but sometimes at first as you're practicing or you're learning how to have these conversations, and if you're in a tough bind financially, those conversations can be can be challenging. Right. So... So I want to read just some comments that people have had, some of our uh, friends and clients, that about kind of what their situations are, and then we can talk about that. Or just, just I mean, I think it's important to know that coming from us two, uh, 
Kelsey's the expert. I am the expert's husband. <laughs> that is the, the extent of my expertise. <laughs> the expert's but, husband. Uh, um, but here's some other people's thoughts. So Tabitha says, Drew manages ours. We pay bills together so he knows how to categorize things and so I know what's going on. On I try to spend even amounts as often as possible. Perfect. Okay. Good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anne says, we're going to have a joint account for household expenses and track expenses in a shared Google spreadsheet. Oh, that's fancy, Anne. Good job. <laughs> we have equal responsibility. Then we have our own accounts too. Uh, and here, here's a question. Uh, what do you recommend for savings for joint things like savings for a house or honeymoon? Do we have a joint savings account? What if one person makes more money than the other? Do they contribute more to expenses and or savings? So good question. I definitely think you should have a joint savings account for anything that you have as a goal together or things that you are going to share. So if you live together, you may need a home repair fund, um, you know, I'm trying to think, a travel, a vacation fund, chances are, unless you're going to travel by yourself, like usually when you're in a relationship, you're traveling with that person, I would say 75% of the time. Uh, So you would want a vacation fund together. There's a whole, uh, if you share a pet, then you would actually have a pet fund and share that together or a kid's fund if you've got kids. Um, And then in your own separate account, you could have like an entertainment for your own stuff or like a golf fund or something like that for your own. Uh, The question about do, does the person contribute more if they make more money? I don't necessarily think so. Uh, This is where it's not a black and white answer. Don't try and think about this as being 50-50 or being completely fair. Um, It really, at the end of the day, contributing more sets the whole family up for success faster. So if you have it to share, I think that's good. The one thing you don't want to have happen, and I can see this happening a lot too, is where... If you are completely completely separate with your finances and there is a difference in income, then what happens is you almost have two different lifestyles happening under the same roof, which can build resentment and it seems starts to feel unfair after a while. So what I mean by that is one person makes more so they can go clothing shopping when they want. They can buy gifts for you if they want. And then maybe you're the person who makes less money and you feel like you can, you know, you're just covering the necessities. You don't get to do a whole lot fun after a while that starts to feel really unfair, you know, and you don't want that. Or what I can see happen in that scenario sometimes too is where the person who's making less is like, um, can you help me with my car payment this month? Or, oh, can you, I just had a car repair. Can you help me? And it feels like, it doesn't feel like a marriage sometimes. It feels like a roommate that you're asking to borrow money from. You know right. what I mean? So right. that if you combine finances, at the end of the day, I don't think it really matters. And I also think about our relationship. And there has been times in our 11 years of marriage. Mm. Holy cow. Did you realize it's been 11 yeah. years? Yeah. 11 years this month. This month. Woo-hoo, happy anniversary, honey. Yeah. Um, the uh, There's been times where he's made more money. There's been times where I make more money. And it kind of goes back and forth. And so if I always think if anything were to happen to Michael in a, million, in a minute, I mean, without hesitation, we would just solve that scenario, whatever happens, right? So it doesn't matter where the money comes from. If it's me, him, it doesn't really matter. It is all one big pot, and I think you feel the exact same way. Mm -hmm. So then at the end of the day, if your spouse were to lose their job and everything separated, would you allow them to not pay their car payment, to get behind on credit cards, or would you simply help out? And then if, if that is the case, then why don't we just join it now and start managing it together and setting goals together? And the power of joining that income is actually pretty miraculous after we get the hang of it. Right. And depending on your scenario and where you're coming from, it 
it really could work one way for a while and then you change it. So, or you remarry and you do it a different way. Um, I think the hardest thing or, or one of the things that you can do is simply try to have a very candid, open conversation with your significant other about what it is that they need from the relationship financially. And this is hard, I think, for a lot of people, especially our generation, is being honest with what you need or if you need help or simply saying, I need X. So if you can have that conversation candidly and then just sort of go through the flow and try not to get defensive if the other person needs more from you, then uh, I think that's probably the best way to tackle it. The We do offer a workshop here for anybody who's local in Phoenix. We offer a workshop called For Richer or Poor. It is a 90-minute couples workshop. And we will sort of probably over time touch on some of the things that we do during, do during that workshop in the podcast. But... Like I said, that alone is a 90-minute workshop. So yeah. we don't have 90 minutes to do a podcast. We want to keep people in tune on these. So, um, But it really does go through all the, the ways of setting priorities, the goal setting. It has a whole list of questions that you can ask each other. And I always stress, like, you don't ask all of those, you know, 12 questions in one sitting. Like you don't sit down for like a four hour marathon budgeting conversation and have a a money talk. You really just say, pick one question while you're in the car for 15 minutes and ask that question. And then you get out maybe a week later, you ask another question. So, and we go through all of that in, in the for richer or poor workshop. And it will be on October 22nd. We'll get that on the website here soon and and make sure we post a link to that in the podcast. No, for sure. Yes. So one thing that I want to talk about, which is uh, very important to me because as the uh, the spender, the person that does not really handle the finances, it is important that, especially in our like our lives, we have a daughter now and we're starting to get, kind of think about what happens if one of us isn't here anymore. You know, we're, we're in that time of life. So if you are sharing finances with a, with a partner, that it's important to, n- each person is on the same page as far as how to pay the bills in case somebody does pass away, you know, does, is gone. I love that you said this. I stress this so much and I kind of forgot to say it. So good job, honey. Thanks. So, Uh, well, I know, hear me. I, uh, so I know somebody, I had a client uh, a while ago that her husband, they owned quite a few like convenience stores and some, uh, some stores of some kind. And he handled every single part of the finances and she knew nothing about anything in the finances. Mm -hmm. Zero. Um, and he suddenly passed away at a fairly young age, um, and she was left with having to pay bills and handle these these businesses and personal stuff and had no idea how to pay bills. She didn't know how to pay bills, period, how to write a check, but she also didn't know where to send things and how much, and so they, you know, they unfortunately had to file for bankruptcy, or she did, because she um, had no control over it. So... Um, from that instance, you know, I know how she really felt about about that situation afterwards. But I, so I think it's very important being the person that if if you don't do anything with your finances and your partner does everything, at least know uh, where they pay their bills online. What are the logins? What are the passwords? If you pay things through the mail, what are the uh, addresses that you send to? Uh, and just have it in a, a spreadsheet yes. or a, a piece of paper written and you keep it on the fridge or in your safe deposit box or wherever you are that, um, that you have that written down. So, you know, here's our bank, uh, here's the login, have a link to the website, and then here is the password. Here is where we pay SRP or APS or your electricity bill. Here's the link. Um, 
Yeah, I feel like so we're working on getting a resources page up on the website because I have a document that I created that you simply fill out and it includes all of this information and and the one person simply completes it, the one who manages all the money and then the other person knows exactly where it's at because if something happens to your spouse, no matter whether it's the person who manages the finances or not, there's a lot to think about. There's so much that you're already going through that you don't want the added worry of, is my electric going to get shut off because I haven't paid the bill and I have no idea when it's due. I don't even know who the vendor is perhaps and who to pay and So you simply don't want all of that added stress in this. If you are the one who manages the money, forcing the other person to sit down and at least look at it once a year, twice a year, see where everything's at, do a quick training thing. You guys can imagine I'm the one who does all of this in our relationship, but Michael has to know where it's at. I make sure he does um, because it's my way of giving to him something that if something happens to me, I can't give for him. So, um, and at the same time, if you are the one who doesn't do it, make sure you take some responsibility or, um, have some awareness around it. We will eventually get that up on the website so that you guys can download it. Uh, but really it's, you know, where, where all your accounts, uh, what are the logins, the username and passwords, the, uh, bills, a list of all of your bills, the dollar amount and the due date. The due date is very important where your bank is. So, I mean, we have banks and, you know, a couple of different banks that we use. And so if you are the type of person who uses the Capital One 360 savings accounts or something along those lines, your spouse may not even know that that's something you do, you Mm -hmm. know, Um, who are the experts that they need to talk to? So who's your financial advisor? If you're the one who handles the money, does the other person even know who that is (laughs) and what their contact information is? So, and then this is also a really important list to have because what if something happens to both of you? Right. Right. So we have a list and uh, we have a family member who knows where it is. And so if, if it's a family member we trust. And so if something should happen to us, that person knows, you know, where our bank accounts are and that sort of thing to help with the transition of hopefully taking care of Carmen and that sort of thing. Right. So good. Excellent yeah. point. Good job. Thank you. Yeah. So the last thing we want to talk about is uh, our Carmen's Corner, which is where we talk about kids and money and how to talk to your kids about money and what are some fun either strategies or activities you can do. So I'll let you uh, kind of talk about your uh, Carmen's Corner this week. So Carmen's Corner, people say to me all the time that, oh, well, my parents never taught me about money. So my challenge for you parents is to not allow your children to grow up and say the same thing, okay? So we need to start talking to our kids about money. And today's little tidbit here is when to introduce a wallet or a purse. Most of us carry a wallet or a purse, or sometimes, ladies, we have both. Um, at what age do we start introducing that? I think one of the best ages is the age of five. And this is where we always have a sort of this loose, um, age because some children are very mature. Some are a little immature and then they all of a sudden have a growth spurt. So, um, just try to use, maybe it's six, maybe it's four, but really around the age of five is when you want to introduce the idea of a purse or a wallet. So how do you introduce that? Uh, one really great way is before you go to the grocery store, you put a dollar in, or you hand them the dollar first and make them put it in the purse or the wallet. Okay. So you don't put it in the purse or the wallet for them. You have them put it in the purse or the wallet. And then the trick is that while they're at the grocery store with you, they can spend that dollar, but they must safeguard it first. So they can only spend the dollar if they get to the checkout at the end and they still have that dollar. Mm -hmm. So the idea is they have to know that money is important and it has to be safeguarded. And that once you lose it, it's gone. We've all 
had our purse lost or we've forgotten it someplace or the wallet before. And you kind of get that like, oh, gut wrenching. Like oh, yeah. it's horrible, right? Like Hit panic. Hit in your stomach. Just. Oh, yeah. So this is the, one of the hardest things about this step is if they lose the dollar, you cannot give them another one. And trust me, this will be a full on episode probably in the grocery store and you just have to know that they have to learn that lesson when it's a dollar and not when they have like 400 in their purse someday right Right. no I'm serious like it's really hard um and then the idea is that they can spend that dollar at the grocery store you know when we leave in the morning to go someplace whether it's work or the grocery store we kind of you know do this mental check of like all right got my shoes on got my purse got my car keys whatever parents you want to do the same thing with a purse or a wallet so they're getting ready to go someplace. And this is tricky too. This is probably the second challenge is we're probably already like scrambling to get out the door. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're like annoyed. Cause you're like, how many times do I have to ask you to put your shoes on? <laughs> but now I'm asking you to add to that list, which is not only do they have to put their shoes on, but they have to remember to grab their wallet or purse. Mm. So you have to say, Hey, do you have your money? Do you have your purse? Do you have your wallet? That kind of thing. Um, it's just one of those things that you want to get them in the habit of safeguarding money at a young age And then the idea is that at the end of the grocery store, they can spend the dollar. They don't have to spend the dollar, okay? So some kids are savers naturally, and they're not going to want to spend that dollar. Um, And then at the end of the grocery store trip, as long as they still have that dollar, they can spend it. And then the sort of, I could probably make this a second tip, but I'm going to keep going, okay? Okay. Um, When you get up to the cash register or the cashier, let them have their own separate transaction. Mm -hmm. So... You go up there, you put all your groceries up there, and you're going to check out. Don't just add their thing to it and then have them give you the dollar. Like, literally have them have their own separate transaction with the cashier. Practice handing the money to the cashier, sort of witnessing the idea that there's a a give and take, there's a transaction here that has to happen. Okay, that's crucial. I love that. That's so cool. Okay, good. Great idea. Thank you. Let us know how that goes. I can't wait. There is actually a picture on our Facebook page um, of a client who did this to her son. And he was thrilled. She gave him a dollar. He could buy whatever he wanted as long as he had the dollar. So she's taking pictures of him because he's just walking around with like this dollar (laughs) in his hand. He was like ripping onto it with dear life. He decides to buy a loaf of bread. I am not kidding you. That was his dollar. And she's got a picture of him and it's on the Facebook page. He's holding a loaf of bread and a dollar in the other hand and his face is like this. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry for all the podcast people. You can't see the the face I just made. Imagine Aziz Ansari's smile yeah I'll, I'll post that on the, oh yeah don't worry he was so proud of himself he was overjoyed it doesn't matter what he purchased it was his transaction he absolutely loved it that's awesome yes. that's hilarious mm-hmm. that's a loaf great. of bread a loaf of bread he really yeah. wanted that loaf of bread he was hungry <laughs> he wanted to feed some ducks there's actually i think the story i think this family is like gluten-free oh, and <laughs> Well, he's never had it before. Yeah, like so. I think he really like wanted the loaf of bread because he's like, I see these all the time, and they look delicious. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So yes. All right. Well, that is the saver and the spender for this week. We made it through. So um, please continue to subscribe on iTunes and share with your friends and family the the podcast. Keep looking out for our stuff on Facebook. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about how to save for travel and vacation since it's getting to be that time of year, and we kind of already talked about that, but how to specifically start saving and when to save and 
how to budget. How to come up with yes. a budget for vacations because everybody always says, I don't know. I don't know how much we're going to spend on this or that. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the best way to do that. Sure. See, it feels like uh, vacations are very reactionary. You just go with your credit card and spend, 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 and then you're... Come home and cry. Yes. So we, no don't, tears. Want you, we don't want you to do that. No tears. All right, guys. Well, thanks. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to The Saver and The Spender. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address, www.fiscalfitnessaz.com, to your family, friends, and colleagues. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at I Am Fiscally Fit, and on Facebook at Fiscal Fitness PHX. Join us next time for another edition of The Saver and The Spender.